versions. In a book of this sort, that's been aimed at a general audience, there's not a lot of point to providing a bibliography when virtually all of the sources are in Yiddish. Still, I need to mention four seminal works that I've used no less than anybody else working in the Yiddish field. Oriel Weinreich's Modern English Yiddish Yiddish English Dictionary, Alexander Harkavi's Yiddish English Hebrew Dictionary, Nochem Stutchkov's Oitzer von der Yiddischer Sprach, a thesaurus of the Yiddish language, and Max Weinreich's Geschichte von der Yiddischer Sprach, which has been published in English under the title History of the Yiddish Language. Chapter 1. Kvetschke The Origins of Yiddish. 1. A man boards a Chicago-bound train in Grand Central Station and sits down across from an old man who's reading a Yiddish newspaper. Half an hour after the train has left the station, the old man puts down his paper and starts to whine like a frightened child. I am my toisty. I am my toisty. I am my toisty. The other man is at the end of his rope inside of five minutes. He makes his way to the water cooler at the far end of the car, fills a cup with water, and starts to walk back to his seat. He pauses after a few steps, goes back to the cooler, fills a second cup with water, and walks gingerly down the aisle, trying to keep the cups from spilling. He stops in front of the old man and clears his throat. The old man looks up in mid-oy. His eyes beam with gratitude as he drains the first cup in a single gulp. Before he can say or do anything else, the man hands him the second cup, then sits back down and closes his eyes, hoping to catch a bit of a nap. As he sits back, the old man allows himself a sigh of thanks. He leans into his own seat, tilts his forehead towards the ceiling, and says just as loudly as before, I was I toisty. 2. If you can understand this joke, you'll have no trouble learning Yiddish. It contains virtually every important element of the Yiddish-speaking mindset in easily accessible form the constant tension between the Jewish and the non-Jewish, the faux naivete that allows the old man to pretend that he isn't disturbing anyone, the deflation of the other passenger's hopes, the disappointment of all his expectations after he's watered the Jew, and, most importantly of all, the underlying assumption, the fundamental idea that kvetching, complaining, is not only a pastime, not only a response to adverse or imperfect circumstance, but a way of life that has nothing to do with the fulfillment or frustration of desire. Kvetching can be applied indifferently to hunger or satiety, to satisfaction or disappointment. It's a way of knowing, a means of apprehension that sees the world through cataract-colored glasses. The old man's initial kvetches are a means to an end. He's thirsty, He's lazy. He figures that if he yells loudly enough, he's going to get what he wants. But these first few oys are only the setup, the quintessentially Yiddish aspect, what Yiddish itself would call dus pintele Yiddish, the essence of Yiddish, 
appears only in the joke's last line. The old man knows what's happening. He knows that he could have died of thirst for all that his seatmate cared, as long as he did so quietly. He knows that the water is a sign of contempt, not a gesture of mercy. And he also knows that in a world where indifference is the best that can be expected, the principle of aftsalachas, which very literally means in order to provoke anger, the impulse to do things only because someone else doesn't want you to, is sometimes essential to the world's moral balance. And the old man understands how aftsalachas works. Alone in the history of the world, Yiddish-speaking Jews long ago broke the satisfaction barrier and figured out how to express contentment by means of complaint. Kvetching becomes a way of exercising some small measure of control over an otherwise hostile environment. If the stones, I can't get no satisfaction, had been written in Yiddish, it would have been called... I love to keep telling you that I can't get no satisfaction because telling you that I'm not satisfied is all that can satisfy me. 3. Like so much of Jewish culture, kvetching has its roots in the Bible, which devotes a great deal of time to the non-stop grumbling of the Israelites who find fault with everything under the sun. They kvetch about their problems and they kvetch about the solutions. They kvetch in Egypt and they kvetch in the desert. No matter what God does, it's wrong. Whatever favors he bestows, they're never enough. So, for example... The Israelites are on the edge of the Red Sea, with Pharaoh and his hosts closing fast behind them. God has been plaguing the Egyptians left and right, and has just finished killing every one of their firstborn males. The Israelites are understandably nervous, but there's a big difference between being slightly apprehensive and insulting the agent of your deliverance, as they do in the 14th chapter of Exodus. And they said to Moses, What, there's no graves in Egypt? You had to take us into the desert to die? What did we tell you in Egypt? Get off our backs and let us serve the Egyptians, because serving the Egyptians is better than dying in the desert. This sort of thing constitutes what might be called the basic fetch, the initial declaration of unhappiness that identifies the general area of complaint. Had Isaac Newton been struck by a potato kugel instead of an apple, the whole world would now know that for every basic kvetch, there's also an equal and opposite counter kvetch, a retaliation in kind provoked by the original complaint. Such counter kvetching also appears in the Bible, most notably when God decides to answer the Israelites' complaints about the food in the desert by giving them something to kvetch about. The Jews want meat instead of the manna that they've been getting. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses tells them, God's going to give you meat and you're going to eat it. Not one day or two days, not five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a month you're going to eat it until it's coming out of your noses. They get meat all right. Quails, hundreds and hundreds of quails, and for dessert they get a plague. Thus ends the 11th chapter of the Book of Numbers. In the first sentence of chapter 12, we're told that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Kvetching is to the Jewish soul as breathing is to the Jewish body.
This sort of antiphonal grousing pervades the Old Testament. What is Hebrew prophecy but quetching in the name of God and forms the basis of much of the Jewish worldview? Not only did Judaism in general, and Yiddish in particular, place an unusual emphasis on complaint, but Yiddish also allows considerable scope for complaining about the complaining of others, more often than not to the others who were doing the complaining. While answering one complaint with another is usually considered a little excessive in English, Yiddish tends to take a homeopathic approach to kvetching. Like cures like, and kvetch cures kvetch. The best response to a complaint is another complaint, an antiseptic counter-kvetch that makes further whining impossible for anybody but you. Yet the entry for kvetchen, the verbal form of the word, in Oriel Weinreich's modern English-Yiddish Yiddish-English dictionary reads simply press, squeeze, pinch, strain. There is no mention of grumbling or complaint. You can kvetch an orange to get juice, kvetch a buzzer for service, or kvetch mit de plates, shrug your shoulders when no one responds to the buzzer that you kvetched. All perfectly good, perfectly common uses of the verb kvetchen, none of which appears to have the remotest connection with the idea of whining or complaining. The link is found in Weinreich's strain, which he uses to define kvetchenzich, to press or squeeze oneself, the reflexive form of the verb. Alexander Harkavi's 1928 Yiddish-English-Hebrew Dictionary helps make Weinreich's meaning clearer. Kvetchenzich isn't simply to strain, but to strain, as Harkavi has it, at stool, to have trouble doing what, if you'd eaten your prunes the way you were supposed to, you wouldn't have any trouble with at all. The connection with complaint lies, of course, in the tone of voice. Someone who's fetching sounds like...